Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today we're starting a brand new series. It's a leadership series, and it's one that I'm very excited about. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to uh, pull it out and look to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, that's in the Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament that is rich, that is strong, that has so much in it. And I'm really excited about this series because we are all leading, aren't we? You recognize that? See, when Jesus said, I want you to make disciples, he didn't just say, I just want these few people here that I trust. He said, no, I want everyone to be about this business, which is making disciples. See, we all lead somebody somewhere. We're all involved. Our life affects everyone around us. We know this, don't we? Our lives are lives of influence, either for the good or to the negative. But they make a difference. If you were here last week, you probably noticed that I, I didn't come to church. I normally come to church here. Um, I really love this community. But last week, I got to be back in Newfoundland, Canada, and I got to go to church with my dad. My dad's 92. He's still driving. He's still eating poutine like a man and uh, just, you know, just having a great time. And one of the cool things that I thought about as I was, while I was preparing for this message on leadership today, as we talk about Caleb and, uh, and Joshua, was as soon as I walked through this church, my childhood church, do you know who was the first person uh, to come up and greet me with great gusto? My Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Collins. She ran up to me. I mean, she taught me. She could tell you stories, okay. She, she ran up and she hugged me. And I felt that warmth of a five-year-old all over again. See, she helped me walk through so many things. She was a constant in my life. She was faithful in my life. She was always there encouraging. And even now, you know, in me going back as a man in my 40s, she's still coming up to me. And I'm just like, Mrs. Collins, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and your faithfulness and the leadership that you brought in my life. Even now, even now. See, this is the call that God has in our life. See, she really embodied what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. This is the call. This is the call. This is the opportunity that we have. See, leadership is so important even as a team and as a staff and as a church. You've heard us talking about we have this three-week leadership series coming up where we want all of our members, we want all of our leaders, our board members, and those that maybe you're even just interested in what does membership mean, what does it mean to be a, be a leader here at Shoreline Community Church. We want you there because it is important. Ephesians 4 says what? You need to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Is it my job to do everything? No. Can I do everything? Can I do everything? Okay. There's only a few things I can do. <laughs> we are called to equip and to be together. This is important. This is our mandate. And we see this through this series and through this example today as we look at Joshua and Caleb. They were being led by God and they were brought to the edge of the promised land. And for those of you, if you've read through the Old Testament, you know this is a key story. It talks about how God had promised this to his people to bring them to the promised land. And here in Numbers 13, we see it coming up now. They're on the edge of it. They're right there on the edge of a promise. How many of you feel this morning that you're on the edge of a promise from God? You're like, I'm right there. I pray today as we read through this, that the Lord would instruct our hearts and he would guide us. He's made promises to us. 
He's leading us. He's developing us. He's preparing us. So let's look to his word today as we look at this. Numbers 13, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. They're on the edge of the promised land. It says in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. And then jumping ahead. So Moses, he sends them out, sends 12 out. They go out. They spend 40 days exploring the land, the promised land. This is what they've been working towards. So much has happened. And now we get to the scouting report. How many of you like scouting reports when they come out, right? You know what scouts do? They go out and they see what's going on. They, um, they go out on this, this reconnaissance mission where they look and they see what does this land look like? How are we going to do it? And here's the scouting report. Verse 25, it says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community that they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We enter the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds good. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So there's some enemies here they have to overcome. But Caleb, and man, I love Caleb. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And he said, let's go at once to take the land. We can conquer it. Don't you love Caleb? In the midst of all this, he said, look, we can do this. But the other men who had explored the land with him, they disagreed. He said, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they felt like to us. So we have this picture of two groups of leaders. Twelve spies went out. I remember Mrs. Collins taught me this song of 12 spies went to spy in Canaan, ten were bad, two were good. You don't know it? Come on. Canada's got great songs, man. I mean, it's great. She had photographs for it. The grapes were this big. The people were this big. There's all kinds. Of, I don't know if it's theologically correct, but it was this whole idea. There were two groups, ten spies and two spies. We had this group of two spies that faithfully served the Lord. They're like, we can do it. God has brought us here. That's one group. And then there's this group of ten spies that said, we can't. And I believe that's the question the Lord is posing to us today. Which group do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of the ten spies that when they walk in, all they see is, they see all the problems. They see the things they have to overcome. They see the giants in the land. They say, we can't do it. Or do you want to be a part of the two spies that say, we can do this. God has promised this to us. He has brought us here for such a time as this, and we're going to go take that land. I think for most of us, 
We want to be with that group of two with Joshua and Caleb, but there's fear that comes up, isn't it? Have you ever experienced fear in your life? Have you ever experienced self-doubt in your life? My prayer, no, I haven't. I have. <laughs> I have. But here's what I found. As we walk through this, my prayer is that the Lord would stir something in your heart today, stir something in your spirit, and that wherever you are, you would hear the promise of God. You would see the preparation, the way that he's preparing so that we can possess that. Can we pray for that together? Can we pray that together? And I just encourage you just to lift your hands to the Lord as a sign of surrender if you would like. And just say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Lord, may we be people who are faithful. That we don't focus on the giants. We don't focus on the problems. But we focus on you, Jehovah Jireh, my provider who can do exceedingly more than anything I can ever ask for, anything I can hope for, anything I can imagine. So, Lord, lift our eyes to you today. Lord, speak through me that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight, my God, my rock, my high place, my redeemer. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. All right. So as we move forward, the first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the promise. See, God made a promise. So what is a promise? As I was studying through just like what it means to be a promise in the, in the Bible, I came across M.H. Manser, and he defines the promise this way. He says that when we look at the Bible, a promise is a commitment that is binding of one person or a group of people. So the promise is a commitment, right? It's a commitment. I promise this. But we also know that when we look at this, the value of a promise, it depends upon the reliability and the trustworthiness of the person who is making a promise. See, the promise is only as good as the person making it, doesn't it? Have you ever broken a promise? My Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Collins, she can tell you from promises that I broke. <laughs> See, the promise is dependent upon the one who is making it. That's where it, the reliability is. Which, of course, in this circumstance is God who never fails. And when we look at the promise, Manser goes on to say that the promises of God, it reveals who God is. He says the promises of God, it reveals his particular and eternal purposes to which he is unchangeably committed and upon which believers can totally depend. See, when God makes a promise, he's telling you something about who he is. His promises mean something. They lead you somewhere. They talk about who he is, but also the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. This is what a promise is. This, these are the kind of promises that when, when my dad, my mom made promises, it showed who they were. It showed what they wanted. It showed where they were leading me and the desires they had for my life. This is what a promise does. And we know as it relates to God that he is unchangeable. 2 Corinthians 1, it says, For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he does not waver between a yes and a no. He always does what he says. Amen? Jesus always does what he says. But this last part that Manser identifies that as it relates to the promises of God, and this is what we all need to hear today, that the promises are conditional on the obedience of the believers. See, the promises of God, they are faithful, they are yes, and they are amen. But they're dependent upon our obedience. Now, why is that? Well, this, this, this goes back to the nature of why God makes promises. See, God makes promises to us because he wants a relationship with us. He is not a God that we worship from afar. He is a God who is up close and personal. That when we give our life to Christ, his spirit fills us and enables us and empowers us. This is a relationship. So these promises are built on a covenant relationship. 
It's that commitment that God has made to us and the commitment that we have made to him. He, so first of all, he wants that relationship with us, but promises, they also give us confidence when we have questions or doubt. See, you may not have doubts, but sometimes I have questions and doubts. Anybody else with me? You, you ever have doubts and questions? And you walk through things and you read things, you go, what does that mean? Or you're going through a tough time and you're going, God, are you really there? Are you really there because I'm hurting right now? We all go through times like that. And when you look at the Bible and you look at these leaders, you see them walking through times where they're trusting the promises of God, but they have questions at times. They have doubts at times. Is God threatened by your questions? Is God threatened by your doubts? No, he's not. He welcomes them. and He says, bring them all to me. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. I care about you. This is the nature of that promise. He makes them, he's trying to pull us in so that when we have those doubts, he's saying, look, I made a promise to you, Dwayne. I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to lead you through it. If you follow me wholeheartedly and will devote yourself to me, I will walk you through this. I will lead you through this. I may stumble, but when you stumble, Dwayne, I'm going to pull you up. As you look to me, this is the nature of God. This is why he makes promises. And as we get to our story today, when we look at the story of Joshua and Caleb, see, Joshua and Caleb, they knew God's promises. And this promise for the promised land, is, it, it began back with Abraham in Genesis 15. See, God made a covenant to Abraham. I'm leading you to a land that you don't even know yet. I'm leading you out. I'm calling you out. See, the land had been promised to Abraham. It had been promised to Isaac. It had been promised to Jacob and to succeeding generations. And even when we look at Joseph, when we look at Joseph in Genesis 50, here's what Joseph told his brothers, and I love this. Joseph said, soon I will die, but God will surely come to help you, and he will lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. See, they knew these stories. They knew these events more than stories, historical accurate events that happened in their history in the past. And then with Moses bringing up current to this story, God spoke this promise to Moses through a burning bush. Now, would a burning bush get your attention? It would get my attention for a lot of reasons because I have kids for one, so why is the bush burning? What's on, you know, every, every time I walk in the house, I, I take a deep whiff and go, is anything burning in here today, okay? So a burning bush... Got Moses' attention. He saw it. He walked over. God said, this is holy ground. And then here's what he said to Moses. He said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Here's what God said through the burning bush to Moses. He said, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promise of God that he's reviving, he's bringing up. See, Joshua and Caleb, they knew this. They knew there was a promise. But they also knew that there would be preparation needed. See, every promise needs preparation. There's a promise, but the bigger the promise, often the bigger the preparation because we need it. If we're to lay hold of God's promises, we need preparation. And this often confuses us, don't it? Don't it? Don't it? Life without God's love is like a donut. Okay. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> doesn't it? I know, I'm going to get emails this week about my grammar, so. And no, I'm not going to say that's how we say it in Canada, okay? It's, it's, it's not, okay? But when we, when we get these promises, we need to be prepared 
But we get confused by the, prepar- by the preparation aspect of it because we think when a promise is made, I should get it, right? It's like, look, I'm an Amazon Prime member, buddy. So I should get it in how, how many days? Two days max. It was so fun uh, being back in Newfoundland. Um, th- they have Amazon Prime members. And my sisters were talking to me saying, man, we're Amazon Prime members. Do you know how long it takes us to get it? We get it in like seven to ten days. <laughs> and, if, well, man, you had to buy your Christmas gift a month in advance when I was a kid, okay? So, so I, uh, I, I said, yeah, that's, that's nice. Seven, ten days. So... But we have this expectation, right? It's like, man, I'm in Seattle, one to two days tops. That's as as long as I'm willing to wait. See, we don't see that that need for it. But the problem is, is that without this aspect of preparation, we're not ready for the promise. See, the promises of God are huge. They are massive. We need to be prepared because when God has a promise to you, this is the creator of the universe, creator of all things, and he's handing it over to you. And often when God tries to give me a promise, my hands are too full. It's filled with the cares of this life. It's filled with all this other stuff. Sometimes it's filled with fear. Sometimes it's filled with self-doubt. And God's saying, you want to get my promise, you need to let go of those things. You need to allow me to even strengthen your hand so that you can hold it. This is the promise. This is the, this is the preparation that God has for the promises that we lead into. Because he knows, and we know this too, that without preparation, promises are lost. Have you ever lost a promise in your life because you didn't prepare well? Your hands were weak, or they were too full, or you were too distracted, and the promise is there, but you're looking over here somewhere, and God's saying, no, look over here. Do I need to set a bush on fire to get your attention? Come over. Look at where I'm leading you. Allow me to prepare you. See, we need to not be confused by this. We need to understand that the greater the promise, the greater the preparation. That's why oftentimes that when God calls you to places, the more that he promises, the first thing he does is he digs in your foundation. He digs down deep and he says, are you ready? See, we like seeing the, the walls going up. We like seeing the roof going up because we're ready to occupy the house. And God's saying, let's get your foundation in order first. I'm reading this awesome book by Gordon McDonald right now talking about ordering your private life. And it talks about how if we don't order our private world, that private world with God, that that world that no one sees but God, and allow him to, to craft our character, to speak to us, and to shape it, and to strengthen our foundation, that what happens is all these forces from the outside, our culture and our world, begin to shape us. When it should be, our character should be shaping the outside world around us. But it's that inside world, it's that foundation world. This is the preparation that God does in our life and that he was trying to do in the the children of Israel. See, that's why great leaders, they embrace preparation because they know, I want to be ready to do what I've been called to do. See, it's in the preparation or that practice gym that great teams are built, not the game. See, so we focus on the game. Do you know what the coach focuses on? The practice. Because if you're not ready in practice, you're not going to be ready for the game. When you get into a game, and my coach did this, right? If we went through a game and we were tired, we were running out of breath, or we were lagging, we weren't fast. Guess what we did the first half of the next practice? We ran and we ran. He's like, are you tired now, boys? You know, he ran us and ran us. Why? So that next game, we weren't tired. We weren't sucking air. We were ready to go. He's like, you're not going to lose a game because you're too tired. Did I say too tired? Too tired. We do say that in Newfoundland, so 
if we got in the game and he called a play and we didn't hear it, guess what happened the next practice? Do you hear me now? He called play after play after play until we were running to the ground. If we had problem communicating with each other, do you know when he solved it? He solved it in the practice. See, this is what God does to us. He gets us ready. He, he conditions us. Sometimes we're running laps and we're going around and we're saying, God, what are you doing? He's saying, I'm getting you ready so you don't get tired, so you have some stamina, so you have some strength in you. He's saying that sometimes he's focusing on technique. And we're saying, why am I just shooting this basketball over and over again? He said, you're practicing so you won't miss. I'm going to bring your arm in. I'm going to flick your wrist. I'm going to get you ready. Are you having a hard time with communication? God's going to bring you to a point where you'll hear his voice. Because you need to hear the coach's voice. And even as a team with each other, he's saying, are you having a hard time talking to each other? Let's work on that. Let's work on that communication. This is what God does. This is what God does. And see, this is why, even for us, and I remember growing up, that the guys that didn't show up to the practice, they didn't play in the game. Why would a coach put somebody in a game that didn't show up for a practice? We wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't want other coaches to do that for the teams that we cheer for. Why did you put that person in? They didn't know the play. They didn't know how to communicate. They weren't conditioned. He's saying, show up for the practice. Let me prepare you. See, Joshua and Caleb, they knew they needed to be prepared to get that promise. Because, see, it's, it's difficult to be released from Egypt. Being removed from Egypt, it's more than just a proximity problem. It's more than just a proximity problem. They've been in Egypt a long time. And even just because they're removed from Egypt, it doesn't mean that Egypt has been removed from their heart. Did you hear that? Just because you've been removed from your captivity, it doesn't always mean that captivity has been removed from you. We see this in counseling all the time. Whether you're going to counseling yourself or whether you're helping to get somebody out of that situation. Just removing them from a situation doesn't remove the situation from them. And this is what God was doing in their life. Because we saw this every time that the children of Israel came to a point of conflict. What was their default? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. They have onions and leeks back there. Let's go back to Egypt. See, this happened. We see this in Exodus 14 at their, at their first conflict when they're standing before the Red Sea. The first obstacle that they had. God had just delivered them. It says in Exodus 14, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel, they looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, hear this. It says, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Now remember, they cried out to leave Egypt. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. Wow. Wow. Have you ever felt that way? When that fear comes in? But listen to what Moses said. Moses said, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you, so just stay calm. Are you hearing that? 
the Egyptians you see today, that persecution you see today, those that are out for your harm instead of your good, that's the last time you're ever going to see them. So just stay calm and watch what God will do in your life. That blesses me. Because we think my enemies are never going to leave. They're always going to be there. And he's saying, just be calm. And then the Lord, hearing what Moses said, that's good, Moses. Then he, the Lord looked at Moses and he said, why are you still crying out to me? Get moving. Tell the people to get moving. Look what I'm going to do. Look what I'm about to do in your life. Stop crying out to me. Get going. Get walking. Get moving. I've got a plan. I've got a promise. I'm going to lead you out. See, we need to understand this, that deserts are not for our destruction. Deserts are there to prepare us. Sometimes we see a desert and we say, God, why have you brought me to this desert place? Why am I standing here? And God's saying, I didn't bring you here to destroy you. I brought you to this desert to prepare you, to get you ready for the promise that I have given to you. See, it's in the desert that we often hear God the best, isn't it? How many of you have experienced that to be true? That when you're in that dry and weary land where there's no water, when all the other voices are stripped away, do you know whose voice starts to come out? It's the voice of God. I've discovered that. See, God brings us to that desert to get us alone with him. To hear his voice so that we can learn his voice again. So that we can become reacquainted with the voice of God in our life. See, dry times in our life, they reveal how deep or how shallow our well is. Doesn't it? Or don't it? Okay? <laughs> dry times in our life, they reveal how deep our well is or how shallow our well is. When you're in a place where you need the water, where you just can't go to the faucet and turn it on, when you just can't come to places and water's flowing everywhere, you realize, how's my well? Am I a deep person or am I a shallow person? And it's hard to dig when you're complaining. That's what the children of Israel discovered. And many of them discovered it too late. See, God's not trying to destroy. God's trying to prepare. And in the times of our life, for many of us, when we discover that our well is too shallow, the response isn't to run from the desert. The response isn't just to run from the preparation. The response is saying, God, give me a shovel and show me how to dig. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to dig. And we're going to come across rocks that God's going to blow out of there. And he's saying, you need to get that rock out of your life, Dwayne. You need to get that out of your life, Dwayne. You're going to come across a root, cut that root off, let it be gone, and keep digging. Because I'm bringing you to a place where it's going to seem dry, but you're going to be an oasis to those around you. Have you experienced that? When you are a deep well in a, in a culture that is so broken like ours. When you have a deep well that is flowing with the Spirit of God, God's going to place you in a dry place so that you can be an oasis that many will come to and they'll see the goodness of God. Why is there water in your life? Why are things flourishing in your life? Why are you behaving that way even though I know you're going through a hard time? I've seen people that when they've lost jobs, when they've got a, a diagnosis in their health, that they've still flourished for God. And even doctors and nurses and people in their life have looked and said, how can you be at peace right now? And you say, there's a wellspring in me that I dug deep in the desert a long time ago and I am not going to leave God. I'm going to be with God no matter what. But the desert reveals it. The desert reveals it. It shows you what you need. See, Joshua and Caleb, they knew this. They knew this. See, God made a promise to them. We need to receive God's preparation in order 
to be ready for the promise because God doesn't just make these promises for us. God says, you know what? I want you to possess the promise. I want you to receive that promise. I'm getting you ready for it so that you can lay claim and possess the promise of God. This is what God does. See, in Numbers 13, we read earlier, the children of Israel, they stood on the edge of possessing the land. Imagine that. You're right there. See, they had been in Egypt for 430 years. We read that in Exodus 1240. 430 years in Egypt. They had just spent two years walking in the wilderness getting ready. We read that in Numbers 1011. 430 years in Egypt. Two years going through the wilderness, being prepared, seeing the miracles of God, seeing the correction of God. So many things that God was teaching them. And now they're standing right there on the edge. And as we read earlier, Moses gets there. He sends 12 spies in. And we see these two responses. The 10 spies that say, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than us. And you read the story and you go, how in the world could they experience everything that they experienced, these amazing miracles of God, and stand before it and say, they're too strong for us. We can't do it. Why are there enemies there? See, the problem that they had wasn't exactly what they said. They said, we can't go up against them. See, the problem is they focused on themselves. You want to be insecure in your life? Focus on yourself. Because the promises of God are too big for you to handle. God's going to give you a promise that can only be fulfilled through him in you. And he's going to bring you right up to the edge of it to where you can look at it, where you can see it. And if the response is, I can't do it, God's going to say, you're right, you can't do it. You can't do it because God's promises can only be fulfilled with, by God. But listen to the response again. We read this earlier. Joshua and Caleb, they said, let's go at once and let's take this land. I've been with you two years in this wilderness. God made us ready. Let's go, let's go. See, they had that faith in God. They were able to have this, 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 this uh, strength in their life that says that we can conquer this through God because they had confidence in the promise. They knew that God made the promise. He's trustworthy. I can count on his word. They also had confidence in the preparation because they knew that God had prepared them and God had shown them what he can do. And they, in the response to this, standing there, I'm, just, I'm trying to imagine Joshua and Caleb. They see the land. They see how, how amazing it is. 40 days in the promised land. Coming back going, let's go. Let's move forward. To hear what was spoken by the other 10 spies. Do you know what they tried to do then? They tried to remind them of the promise. They said, look, the land that we traveled through and explored, it's a wonderful land. They said, please, do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. They're standing on the edge going, don't rebel against God. They are helpless. Pray. Why? Because God is with us. God is speaking to us. We are hearing God. We know what he said. We know the promise. Don't rebel. They're helpless prey in the hands of God. That's a powerful response. Don't rebel against the Lord. So what does that mean for us today? As you stand before the Lord on this promise, there's two responses that all of us have. We can be like the ten spies in the nation of Israel. 
They rebelled against the Lord in spite of everything that God did, in spite of everything that God said, in spite of his loving invitation. We can rebel by looking at ourselves. We can say, I can't do it. And you're right, you, you can't. On your own, you cannot do it. And as a result, you'll wander through the wilderness. You'll wander through the wilderness and you'll drag your friends with you. You'll drag your family with you. And you'll forfeit everything that God put in front of you saying, do you hear my voice calling you to step out? Or my prayer is that we would have the response of Joshua and Caleb. My prayer is that Shoreline Community Church would have the response of Joshua and Caleb and say, look, we can do it. It's been spoken for years, for generations. We can do this. We can do this. See, Joshua and Caleb, they received the promise. And even though there was a nation that rebelled and they spent 40 years circling, I love what God did. He brought Joshua and Caleb right back. And here's, here's what it says here. Joshua 14. It says, now as you can see, this, this is Caleb speaking. The Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And here's what Caleb said. I, I, don't, I want everyone to hear this. Because a lot of times we think that promises are just for young people and I love our young people. I love seeing our children getting up and dancing before the Lord and worshiping him. But this is a message to everybody today. Here's what Caleb said. He said, today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and I can still fight as well as I could back then. So give me that hill country the Lord has promised to me. I'm 85 years old, baby, but I'm ready to go. Are you ready with me? Are you ready to roll in this? See, God had to bring the nation through this, this period of correction where he said nobody under 20 is going to go in because of your rebellion. So they wandered. He said, but Joshua and Caleb, they serve me wholeheartedly. They're willing to trust me. And now he's coming back. All right, we went through the wilderness. We got some things figured out, God. I'm 85 years old, and I'm ready to fight. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. That's powerful to me. See, the enemies were still there. He said, you will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. The enemies were still there. But here's what Caleb, he said, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them. I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. Amen. If the Lord is with me. So many times we, we, we come to situations in our life and our first question is, can I do this? And that's the wrong question. The first question is saying, God, would you do this? Is this what you would do in my life? Because no matter what the answer is, so sometimes you may ask yourself, so you say, can I do this? And the answer may be, yeah, I, I think I can do this. But that doesn't preclude the number one question. Has God called us to do this? Has God called us to do this? 
And the answer is, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. You call me, I will go. You want to send me in the wilderness for a while to get my foundation deep? You want me to dig this well? I'm going to dig this well. Whatever you want me to do to get ready, you want me to lay this down. You want me to step out into something that I'm scared to step out in, but I'm counting on your provision in order to do it. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. And I will say, though they slay me, yet will I praise you because you are my God. This is the walk of faith with the Lord. And right now you may be in a desert time because God's saying, I want you to hear my voice. Because there's going to become a time when you're going to see all the giants around you. You're going to see the descendants of Anak. You're going to see people bigger than you, stronger than you, more popular than you. And you need to hear my voice and not your own. Often the biggest voice that trumps in our life is often our own, isn't it? It's our own, it's our self-doubt, our self-criticism, or what, what can I do? And God's saying, we're, we're going to shut that voice down. We're going to dig the well. And we're going to say, Lord, whatever you say, however you want to prepare me, I will do it. Amen. If that's your prayer this morning, would you just stand with me? And let's, let's just spend some time opening our ears to the Lord right now. You may need to close your eyes just, just to block everything out. I believe the Lord is speaking a word to you today, a word specifically for you. I know he's preparing us as, as a church to love and to reach the community, but he's speaking to you. He's getting you ready right now to be a part of that. So open your ears to the Lord. Say, so speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to speak to you and identify those things in your life that he's saying, it's time to get rid of this. It's time to remove this. If it's a fear, if it's a doubt, if it's sin you've been struggling with for a week or for years, the Lord is identifying that and saying, you're ready to dig deeper. Are you ready to do whatever it takes for me to prepare you and get you ready? You have yet to even experience what I will do in you as you surrender. Amen? Amen. Lord, allow our lives to be lives of surrender to you. And all that we do. And all that we do. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. Just a very simple, short song. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you want to turn to the person next to you and say, you know what, the Lord's speaking to me right now. And I just want to confess that to you. Would you pray for me? Or maybe you want to sit where you are and just process this. Let's, let's take a moment just to process it. Let's take some moments to process and to hear God's getting us ready. He's preparing us. What do you need to let go of in order to receive the promise of God? Let's just take a moment just to seek the Lord in that.